Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist analysis podcast from the Socialist Party. Now, the Socialist Party is active in every field of struggle, from the workplaces and trade unions to the school and university campuses, through to the social and community campaigns. What guides our participation and class approach are socialist ideas. This week we're helping to launch the latest publication from Socialist Books, which is a reprint of Socialism, Utopian and Scientific by Friedrich Engels. It covers many of the fundamentals of Marxism, from dialectical materialism through Marxist economics. It's an essential read for all socialists. Now, if you want to get involved in more discussions like this one, come along to one of our meetings or contact us to discuss joining the Socialist Party. You can find out more at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. Now, over to Sarah Rack. I'm here today with Ben Robinson from Socialist Books, which is the publishing house launched by the Socialist Party in 2017. Um, and we've got a bit of a different type of podcast today, where we're going to be discussing the new book from Socialist Books, um, which is republishing Frederick Engels' classic Socialism, Utopian and Scientific. And so we wanted to do this podcast, I suppose, to encourage people to buy the book and to read the book. Um, but also hopefully it will be a, a resource to kind of aid people with that reading mm. and, and trying to understand it. So we're going to try and go through some of the main points that are drawn out um, in that book. So hello, Ben. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the book, uh, Socialism, Utopian and Scientific, was first published in 1880, which is a long time ago, clearly. Um, why do you think that now is a good time to be republishing it and for people to try and be reading and understanding it? Yeah, well, I think last week we saw in Trump's State of the Union address when he said that America will never become a socialist country. And I think... Why was he saying that? You know, probably every American president would have agreed with that statement, but Trump is having to be out there saying it. And I think it's because there is much more interest in socialist ideas. There's a real fear of socialism amongst the ruling classes, not only in America, but internationally. And I think that there's a searching out for uh, what actually socialism means. What, why is it different to capitalism? How can things be different? And so on. And I think... You know, what we've seen, for example, in Britain over the last decade or so was we sort of saw, saw the movements, uh, Clegmania, if anybody can remember that, you know, the sort of green surge. Now, today, the movement around Corbyn, I think there's a sort of feeling out of how is it possible to build an alternative. And I think that that is a part and parcel of the question of what sort of alternative is possible as well. You know, we've seen that. We've seen that internationally as well with the development of Syriza and the Greek government, with Podemos in Spain. Uh, obviously, last week's podcast was discussing the situation in Venezuela, where a decade or so, you know, there was a, uh, an exploration of some of these ideas and trying to put some of these ideas into uh, into practice. And I think it's not only those um, specific situations but I think as well in the realm of ideas we've seen people like Paul Mason mm. praising some of the ideas that uh, Engels takes up. Engels dates back to the um, uh, early uh, 1800s um, and uh, you know reviving those for a modern day audience um, and so I think that Engels's arguments sustain their sort of full validity 
But I think it's more than that as well, actually, that it's not just um, taking up some of these ideas and explaining where they came from, but it's also um, an excellent introduction to Marxist ideas in general. Um, you know, exact, exactly sort of what is capitalism, what is socialism, um, why is it, why is socialism necessary? Um, it was used throughout the workers' movement um, in Engels' lifetime as a basic introduction to what these ideas stand for. I think in the in Engels' introduction, he boasts that it outsold the uh, Communist Manifesto uh, during his time. You know, and I think that that was clearly because it was found useful then. Um, and I think that a lot of those ideas sort of still retain uh, their relevance today. Of course, we just said that Marxism in general is uh, an extremely modern um, idea and still retains its uh, relevance. And I think that this is an, is an introduction from, to Marxism from one of the one of Marx's co-thinkers is uh, is an absolutely excellent place to start. Um, I also think, by the way, that our edition is five pounds, so it's seven pounds cheaper than the next uh, edition. <laughs> and um, you know, we we uh, want to make these this material and the other material that we've produced as well as accessible as possible, you know, to as widely as possible, um, to sort of help people get to grips with those ideas. Um, okay, so Engels talks about how, like every new theory needs to really, um, modern socialism had to first connect itself with the current ideas of the day. Um, and he discusses the the three great utopian socialists uh, of Robert Owen, Saint-Simon and Fourier. So can you explain a bit who they were and why they were so significant at the time? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think um, you know these are the uh, utopian socialists that are referred to in the title, if you like, um, and I think they were all active and alive in sort of analysing the movements that were taking place during their uh, during their lifetimes. So, Saint Simon, apologies for our French listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, Saint Simon was the first really to draw out what the actual class balance of forces was in the French Revolution you know was it was not only just the great mass against the uh, elites which of course it was but it was actually the uh, the capitalist class the bourgeois who um, put themselves at the head of it and that uh, you know that the uh, developing working class throughout that uh, uh, revolution as well you know and to draw out some of those um, uh, distinctions. Um, I think it's also interesting that uh, in his experience of the French Revolution, he drew the analysis that um, the working class uh, cannot take power, cannot is not capable, um, and instead there should be a uh, unification, if you like, of science and industry. And I think, again, this uh, technocratic argument almost is something that is quite often repeated um, you know, in the realms of uh, some of the... Uh, ideas about how Silicon Valley, etc., can change the world, you know, that this that we just need to get rid of all politicians and uh, that we just need to rely on scientists and uh, industry and technology to be able to um, uh, develop things. Um, but I think as well that uh, Fourier was the first really to draw, if you like, to sort of expand that analysis from not just sort of looking at the French Revolution and looking at the sort of current events, but looking at how um, how capitalism was developing from previous stages, previous sort of distinct stages of uh, history and of class society. 
and have also, you know, providing some quite uh, sharp analysis of what the present conditions are, for example. I mean, one of the phrases that Engels quotes from him in Socialism, Utopian and Scientific is this idea that poverty is born from superabundance. And, you know, you look at uh, look around the world today where, I mean, we're sat here in London, you know, they're building huge uh, tower blocks with luxury fittings wherever they are, and yet we're having a homeless uh, crisis. Mm. And I think that's true um, not only in housing, but in all sorts of realms and, and internationally as well. And Robert Owen was a was a capitalist, was a manufacturer. Um, he developed, he worked his way up and developed He's particularly sort of associated with the mill in uh, Lanarkshire in uh, Scotland. Again, apologies to our Scottish listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what he really raised was that it was possible not only to um, plan the uh, uh, production, but also to use use the profit that had developed uh, from that in order to uh, raise the conditions of the workforce and was able to... You know, really developed the uh, workforce, was able to develop sort of full, you know, childcare facilities, schools. Nobody was uh, wanting in the in in the mill and what have you. It was almost sort of like a um, model village, and I think you know that the role that he played in sort of, I guess today we would describe it as sort of almost trying to build like an island of socialism in the within capitalism. Um, I think showed, if you like, that these things were not just nice ideas, but that they were possible to develop, how long scale they were possible to develop for, was uh, something that Owen himself uh, encountered with is a sort of eventual um, uh, ruin. But also I think that, you know, that the role, that that didn't deter Robert Owen, that he went from being a, um, you know, sort of lauded in, in, the, in Queen Victoria's court to um, being completely shunned by, by society because, of, because he saw through what was going on and he saw through his ideas his support for the working class was I think president at one of the um, first trade union congresses in Britain you know, fought for uh, legal reforms and so on um, but I think we would describe them as utopians because of their approach in a way which was understandable because of where they were these were people putting forward pioneering ideas and um, but it was almost like their approach was, well, we've had these ideas, why shouldn't they be uh, accepted? One of uh, Robert Owen's uh, most radical uh, pamphlets was addressed not only to the uh, to the uh, communists and socialists throughout Europe, but also to uh, Queen Victoria and her responsible advisers. You know, because they thought that it, because these were sensible ideas, why should anybody uh, mm-hmm. reject them? Um, and I think again, you know, I mentioned Syriza earlier. You know, we've seen quite a lot uh, of the when the Greek government, when the left Greek government was initially elected um, and entered into negotiations with the EU and their uh, backers over the over the debts. And um, uh, Varoufakis, who was the finance minister, then essentially went in saying, um, well, this is, you know, we're not going to be able to pay back these debts under these conditions. You know, this is illogical what you're doing. But of course, they didn't care about logic you know they didn't care about arguments they cared about getting their money back and uh you know driving down the um conditions of the uh of, of the greek uh, working class and the vicious conditions that they um implemented there so i think you know we have to rightly um praise the contributions and draw the contributions that these people made when they were first 
uh, making those analysis, but then also, you know, to say that those ideas were only the embryo, really, of, of what socialism uh, can be. Okay, so going on from that then, the book then talks about how Marxism takes those utopian ideas, really, um, but gives them what we'd say is a, a scientific grounding. What do we mean by that? Well, I mentioned that um, all of those people were uh, contemporaries, well, lived through the French Revolution. And not only that, but and so they saw the sort of dramatic events, but also that they saw capitalism seizing power in its sort of most naked uh, expression, if you like, um, and that they relied on working class, the proto-working class, to do that. But then as soon as they had fulfilled, they'd... Uh, achieved what capitalism wanted them to achieve, then the working class was sort of crushed and thrown aside, and all of their, you know, all of the slogans of uh, liberty, equality, fraternity, etc., were um, uh, ground into the uh, dust. And I think that these, the French Revolution, the movements, the uh, turbulent times that they lived through, showed all these contradictions that exist within society and have been developed to a much greater extent uh, today. And these these events were the impulse to the development of these ideas, rather than it just being that any of those utopian socialists were very intelligent people, which I'm not disputing, but that it was uh, actually because of the conditions that they lived through, that uh, material conditions determine uh, consciousness. So I think it's no coincidence that, for example... Two of the greatest uh, scientists, um, Newton and Einstein, were both accused during their lifetime of plagiarism because those ideas were a product, their analysis was, their theories were a product of uh, the conditions that they were going through and the sort of were a reflection of the state of the development of those um, sciences. You know, Marx and Engels were um, the contemporaries of uh, Darwin, of the big uh, developments of um, uh, chemistry and physics that happened uh, in the 19th century and which were really being driven by the development of the productive forces. And I think all of those different sides of the development of materialist thinking, of the steps forward that science took, is also a part of and part and parcel of why um, Marxism developed and why sort of scientific socialism, as uh, Engels refers to it in the pamphlet, developed. In all of those instances, you know, they sort of built on the uh, positive content of what had come before. They explained where that content had come from, but also uh, drew out, drew them out to the much fuller extent alongside the development of the material conditions of the productive forces um, and really demonstrated and set out the way that, that things could develop in the future. Okay, then the, the second chapter discusses dialectics, and I think that for um, many socialists, you know, beginning to learn about socialism, mm. dialectics can be one of the most intimidating subjects <laughs> to try and understand. So what is dialectics and why is it an important thing to understand? Well, I mean... With this question, as with all the others, like we're really skimming through what uh, Engels is talking <laughs> yeah, about we, in we, the we book. We should also have another podcast <laughs> that's uh, more detail on dialectics. No, but... definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, you know, in the in the basics of it, dialectics is the um, logic of change. Uh, you know that contradictions are a real thing; that they're a real expression of reality. 
but there is also a logic to that, to those contradictions. And we see that in politics all of the time. I mean, I mentioned Donald Trump uh, earlier. The candidate who was the most likely to beat Trump in those elections was uh, Bernie Sanders, who was calling for socialism, was calling for a political revolution, etc. And there are polls that have sort of highlighted that. In Britain, um, over the last couple of months, we've seen Theresa May lose a vote in Parliament by the most sort of um, heavy defeat ever for a government, and yet the, the following day um, survive a vote of confidence in the House. And there's all of these things which do not necessarily add up, do not easily fall into one box um, or another. And I think, you know, in the same way that um, I referenced Darwin earlier, you know, Darwin took the classification of individual species, individual animals, and then explained how they were all um, linked up, that they weren't just, uh, they hadn't just been created like that, that they were um, a product of their, of, of their conditions and of the um, reason why they needed to develop. And I think, in a sense, uh, dialectics is about explaining that uh, and about sh- highlighting how those things can develop. So, I mean, as a sort of basic example, what kettle does... <laughs> I'm a big fan of tea. What, what a kettle does is um, applies a certain amount of heat to uh, a load of water. And after a certain amount of time, that water will stop being liquid within the kettle, but will start uh, becoming steam that's coming out of the uh, kettle. For example, that is a, just a very brief example of what we describe of as uh, quantity into quality. The idea that things can build up um, and can and that building up can last for so long, but then once it reaches a certain stage, you know, 100 degrees Celsius in the case of the kettle, um, then that uh, change, then that qualitative change takes place. And yeah, that uh, it changes, the water changes state from a liquid to uh, a gas. I think similarly, you know, we discussed the um, French Revolution briefly earlier and the impact that that had had. Um, and I think that uh, capitalism did not just appear, uh, you know, fully formed. It developed and it began and it, it started off to develop on a sort of small scale, uh, these sorts of uh, means of production and the uh, development of uh, exchange and what have you. But then it developed to such an extent that it was coming up against the boundaries of um, of, of the state, of the pre-existing uh, structures, of the other uh, social systems that existed um, uh, alongside capitalism. And so then what you had was a uh, change from quantity into quality, that you had the capitalist revolution of of the French Revolution and uh, in other countries, obviously, um, as well. And that uh, completely overturned the boundaries, completely um, transformed the uh, situation. And I think... Dialectics is about seeing those uh, processes in motion, about seeing how these changes do develop, and also then once you have an understanding of uh, how processes can develop, then that is extremely useful to be able to um, say, well, okay, but this this can happen next. To be able to say that, for example, on the one hand, within Britain you have the Labour Party, which which has people like uh, Jeremy Corbyn in it, who is you know pro worker, who has uh, helped produce the um, movement 
helped to produce the manifesto that was so successful in the last general election. On the other hand, you have Tony Blair, who's the former uh, Prime Minister um, of Britain, you know, took us to a war, he's sort of universally hated. And those two positions are seemingly contradictory, and they are contradictory, but they also exist within the same um, mm. political party, and that that contradiction is, is if you like, at the heart of uh, not only the situation within Labour, but the situation as a whole within um, uh, British politics. Okay, then in the in the third part of the book, um, Engels kind of brings together all the ideas uh, that we've discussed and outlines what are the key ideas uh, of Marxism. So why does he argue um, that capitalism is unsustainable? So capitalism is a economic, a social and political system. And Engels makes the point, really, that what capitalism did, uh, what its historically progressive role was, if you like, compared to previous systems, was that it hugely developed uh, the means of production, that it developed. It took a situation where um, production was largely uh, an individual um, exercise, you know, that you would have one uh, farmer or a small group of farmers or whatever you're working together uh, developing their own tools maybe getting it getting them from a local blacksmith or what have you to a more collective uh, production you know the beginnings of the developments of uh, workshops of factories and so on um, and so those those big developments in the means of production which were based on uh, increases in science based on previous uh, uh, developments and increases were really uh, the is what is the driving factor within um, capitalist society at large. And I think, just as a sort of side note, it's incredible that um, Engels was raising these, Engels and Marx were raising these, um, you know, 150 years ago. Mm. You know, when you look at the situation now where we have uh, individuals like Elon Musk and uh, uh, Richard Branson, you know, literally with the ability to uh, organise sending people to space for profit. Um, you know, the fact that things have moved on uh, so much further, but that Engels and Marx were talking about these processes so long ago uh, is, uh, is, is incredible, really. But I think as well that alongside that sort of driving, driving situation that is pushing forward um, society, then you also have a regular crisis, um, that results, you know, as uh, uh, Fourier said, um, in a superabundance leading to leading to want, and I think the basis of that is the fact that instead of individuals sort of producing for themselves as they were under previous systems, and they they're working for a wage and they are producing for a, a capitalist or a collection of capitalists, and that the profit that those capital is being generated there is really the unpaid labour of the uh, of the working class. And what that means is that workers cannot buy back the products of their own labour, can't uh, buy it back. So then that limitation of capitalism needing to sell in order to continue to produce is a crisis which constantly, um, constantly raises its head. But I think as well that crises have been a... Uh, a factor in capitalism, you know, since its dawn, um, and that that contradiction has been a, has been a key factor. But that doesn't mean, obviously, that capitalism just ended with one big crisis. You know, mm-hmm. it develops on. 
and what you see throughout that process is a um, is an increasingly small number of of companies controlling increasingly large amounts of uh, the means of production of uh, capital and so on, and you have this sort of tendency towards uh, towards trusts, as Engels talks about them, you know, with collections of capitalists within one industry uh, working together, and then towards uh, ultimately sort of towards um, monopolies. And I think, you know, you look at the example recently of the development of the internet, you know, a new, uh, completely new area uh, of uh, for capitalism to exploit. And yet in the sort of last 25, 30 years, you know, you can already see huge domination of uh, companies like Amazon, like Google, uh, like Facebook, and, and have, have come from nowhere really to become some of the biggest uh, companies in the world. And in effect, um unchallengeable but i think sort of within those uh individual capitalists within those individual um companies there is constant race a constant competition within between themselves over who can uh extract the much sur- the most surplus value which means who can really develop the most uh efficient means of production um, and that sort of constant race uh advances society as a whole advances um capitalism but then also creates these makes sure that these crises are deeper and sort of more uh more thoroughgoing and more uh, severe and drag down more and more people um around the around the world and i think that the what engels highlights really is that what capitalism has done fundamentally is that the process of production has been taken from an individual on an individual level to a social level that uh, production is socialized but that we still have the uh, means of consumption that are hangovers from previous societies that it's on a on an individual basis and that contradiction really is at the heart of why uh, capitalism does have limits even on how far it itself can develop new technologies can develop the means of production can develop uh, society as a whole and so we see a sort of partial recognition of that in the fact that every so often for uh, means entirely necessary to capitalism that you can see uh, nationalisation, that you can see the taking over of uh, industries, of companies by um, not an individual capitalist but by the representative of capitalism as a whole, which is the... Or within a state which is the nation state and um, so for example we saw that um, in the 2008 crisis with the um, nationalization of a large uh, uh, chunk of the of the banks but also you know if you're looking especially from a British point of view if you look at uh, previous services which have been nationalized such as the health service then that was nationalized to in order to defend the interests of capitalism in order to sort of stave off uh, the threat of uh, the working class going um, uh, much further. And so I think that Engels talks about nationalisation of the taking over of industries by the collective rather than the individual as a sign of the encroaching uh, socialist revolution. And I think that is uh, that is definitely correct and is a move away from the anarchy that is is existent throughout capitalism and you know, with the market, with the competition, and so on, 
to uh, the organisation that is sometimes necessary for uh, individual services. I mean, you know, you look at the basics of roads, of mail and so on, um, that these are or have previously been uh, state-owned. And I think the the point is that um, socialism really would be the scene through of that process of of completing the transformation from uh, socialised production in conflict with the individual consumption to uh, socialised production and uh, and consumption and provision um, for all to be able to meet the needs of everybody. You know, we would add today as well to be able to meet the needs of the um, environment. Engels makes the point that that central task can only be carried out by the working class, by the proletarians, as he refers to them in this, in socialism, utopian and scientific, because of their role in the, both in in the workplace, in the socialised means of production, but also because they suffer the, uh, because they face the consequences of the uh, crisis, the hardest, you know, the sort of experience of, of these struggles, but also the experience of collective struggle in, in the workplace, and that the working class is has the most to gain from this uh, transformation, from meeting uh, everybody's needs. You know, Jeff uh, Bozos is not interested in uh, <laughs> sorting out uh, world poverty or is in uh, looking after the majority of the population. You know, that it that it is us who uh, us who suffer, but also us that uh, can develop uh, society in a much more. Um, planned basis to meet uh, the needs of of people sort of around the world and I think that is in essence what Engels is um, talking about obviously we saw uh, what 50 years after this pamphlet was produced you know we saw the Russian revolution we saw the working class take power and a bit of a glimpse a beginning of the glimpse of what that of what is possible there we do have other titles which uh, uh, develop that th- those ideas more and look at the experience of the uh, Russian Revolution, you know, and I'm sure that there'll be um, other podcasts as well from uh, uh, the Socialist Party which which discuss these as well. But I think, you know, really today we've sort of given a, a brief outline of what is in Socialism, Utopian and Scientific. I think it's a very short book, but it's also very rich uh, with ideas. These have been the main themes, but there's lots of things that have sort of developed uh, more throughout the course of the book and alongside doing this podcast we'll be producing some um, question and answers for discussion groups to to look at and f- for them to use and um, we're also offering a reading group discount if people are buying five or more copies so and, you know we want these ideas not just to be thought about but to be discussed and to be uh, used in the in, in the fight for socialism absolutely thanks very much ben i think that will have whetted people's appetite hopefully to go and read the book but like you say to make sure we're discussing and understanding it using all the resources that we've got available as well you can find all those resources plus information on previous socialist books publications at socialistbooks.co.uk the episode notes will be online as usual at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast And email us your thoughts and questions from today, as well as any ideas for future episodes to socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk.